Hi, this is Jamie Lynn in Sugar House, Utah. I just got done dropping off my first and third graders for their last day of school this year. This podcast was recorded at... 1.06 p.m. on Thursday, June 15th, 2023. Things may have changed by the time you hear it, but one thing's for sure. It's about to get a lot less quiet around here. Okay, here's the show and have a great summer. (laughs) (laughs) School's out for summer. Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Deepa Shivaram. I cover the Justice Department. I'm Mara Liason, national political correspondent. And chief economics correspondent Scott Horsley is here. Hey, Scott. Hey, great to be with y'all. Okay, so this month there's been a string of good economic news. For one, seemingly against the odds, hundreds of thousands more people got jobs in May. And it seems like that's happening across job types, right, Scott? Yeah, month after month, we keep thinking we're going to see a slowdown in job creation in this country. And the job market has just remained really strong. Uh, Employers added 339,000 jobs in May. Uh, Even sectors where you'd expect to see a slowdown, like construction, given what's happened with interest rates, uh, we added 25,000 construction jobs last month. Uh, Bars and restaurants are still hiring, lots of jobs in business services, healthcare. Uh, manufacturing was one of the few sectors that saw any job losses in May, and we did see some job losses in media. But overall, the the labor market is still clicking on all cylinders. And wages are up too as well. Yeah, wages are still going up, although not as fast as they were. And that's actually okay. If wages rise really fast, it can put more upward pressure on prices, and then uh, the inflation just eats away at all the wage gains. So what we'd like to see is more modest wage gains that outpace inflation. And we did see that last month. Average wages in May were up 4.3% from a year ago. That's actually a little bit uh, more than prices rose over that 12-month period. So workers saw a real wage gain last last in, in in the 12 months ending in May. And Scott, that's really what the administration has been waiting for, right? For inflation to not eat up all those wage gains. Yes, and that's what, what workers have been waiting for too. You know, it's, it's yeah, right. better to have a three percent wage gain and two percent inflation than a five percent wage gain and seven percent seven percent inflation. Yeah, and Scott Mara mentioned this just a bit earlier, but inflation is also continuing to fall. What's going on with that? It, it, it is good news, uh, it, although maybe not quite as good as the headline number would suggest. Uh, the the overall inflation rate in uh, May came down to 4%, the annual inflation rate. And that that's encouraging. However, a lot of that drop was driven by a fall in gasoline prices. And we know gasoline prices go down and up with some regularity. So, so that, that uh, improvement could could quickly reverse, you know, with with geopolitical events or or, or just about anything. Economists often will strip out the prices for food and gasoline and look at what they call core inflation, which tends to be a little bit more stable and gives you more of a picture of the underlying trend. And that was 5.3% in May. It it is an improvement. It was down from 5.5% the month before, but still, you know, elevated for sure. And that 5.3% core inflation rate is is still going up faster than wages. Mara, I want to turn to you here because as we talk about all of this, Typically, a strong economy 
the assumption is that that's good news for the incumbent president. Is that the case here? Has that always been the case? Well, it used to be the case. But what we've seen recently is a decoupling of a president's approval ratings from the strength of the economy. Donald Trump pre-COVID had a pretty good economy and really terrible approval ratings. Joe Biden has been mired in the low 40s even though, as we've just discussed, there are all of these good things happening in the economy. Now, you know, if you're a Republican, you think the economy's terrible. And if you're a Democrat, you think it's pretty good, <laughs> uh, depending on who's in the White House. Yeah, that's something we definitely want to get to. Um, but first, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a second with more of this. And we're back. And Scott, I want to talk about something that Mara had just mentioned before the break. Sometimes it feels like the way people perceive the economy doesn't really match up with the way the economy is actually functioning at. A lot of people, for example, think that we are in really turbulent economic times, but we might have a really strong economy right now. I'm curious what your thoughts are and why people uh, might have this kind of mismatched perception of the economy uh, with where things actually stand. Well, one thing we know is that there's just a, a lot of polarization in the way people view the economy, just as there is in the way people view just about everything else. Uh, Democrats see the economy as in better shape than Republicans do. And so when there's a, a, a Democrat in the White House, Republicans think the economy's in the toilet. And when there's a, a Republican in the White House, Democrats think the, the economy's in the toilet, almost regardless of what's actually happening with the objective data. But it's also true that we've been in a in a kind of weird economy. I mean, uh, we we obviously went through a wrenching experience of the pandemic. Uh, we've had to deal with you know shortages of everything from toilet paper to infant formula. Uh, we have experienced the highest inflation in decades, even though it, it it started to come down now, and that's a that's a good thing. But so people do have reasons to be concerned about the economy. Uh, although it's certainly not the case that we're in a recession, as as a lot of people think. We're you know objectively the job market. Is, is very strong. Wages are still going up. Uh, the economy is still growing, although not as fast as it had been. One thing that's going to be interesting to watch is that as inflation has come down from that, you know, north of 9% figure it was last summer to where it is now, you know, in the, in the, in the 4% range, how much will people's uh, concerns about inflation abate? And, and I mentioned that a lot of the drop in in inflation has been in in the categories of food and fuel, gasoline and groceries, which don't necessarily tell us a whole lot about the underlying economy. But those are the prices that people pay the most attention to. So even if people are paying more for for other things, if if they're saving on gas and groceries. Uh, will will that relieve some of the economic stress? And I think that's something to keep an eye on. Scott, let me ask you about an alternative theory that maybe people's perceptions of the economy are correct. They're just paying attention to something different. Because even before this current round of inflation, we had inflation in housing, the cost of higher education, and healthcare, the three things that make you a middle-class person. You know, those are the big-ticket items. And that that inflation predated this. And maybe people are thinking, yes, I know that the price of eggs went down, but it's still harder for me to be in the middle class, to find a house that I can afford, there's a housing crisis in this country, to pay for my kids' college education, and to pay for health care. I certainly think there there could be something to that. And even if you 
own a house, say, and you have a fixed rate mortgage and you're not too worried about what's happening with uh, interest rates or even even home prices, you know, it, it may it may affect your your psyche a little bit. Certainly the the cost of higher education uh, for anyone who's, you know, got kids in college or got kids who they hope are going to be in college uh, or the kids who are in college themselves. I mean, the cost of higher education has just vastly outstripped uh, background inflation for a long time. And yeah, and for a long time. For, yeah. for decades, and and that's one reason that the student debt uh, issue is so salient for people. Um, so I, I think those are valid points, at least in terms of people's political sense, even if it doesn't necessarily tell us how the how the economy's doing in in objective terms. Scott, you mentioned that message of kind of gas and groceries. I remember covering Nevada during the midterm elections, and that was something that Republican strategists in that state were really pushing home as their message was that people are choosing between gas and groceries, therefore we should probably vote Democrats out of office. Uh, And so I kind of want to get into the political side of this because right now the messaging from both parties is, is pretty starkly not related to the economy. Republicans are talking about investigating Joe Biden, pardoning Trump. You've got Biden's side talking about, you know, what he's done in the past couple of years, the strength of the economy, unions, um, American manufacturing. But none of those things are really pocketbook issues. And so both of you, Mara and Scott, uh, is this a political kind of lens that you see going forward in the next several months as we head into the primaries? Or uh, is this kind of a right now strategy? Well, I think both parties will obviously try to capitalize on the messages that they think will be, you know, most effective for their candidates. So I think I think Democrats will talk at least about the economic uh, numbers that are that are positive. You'll, you'll hear Democrats talking about the millions of jobs that have been uh, added to the economy on on President Biden's watch. Uh, on the on the flip side, you will hear Republicans talking about uh, inflation, and and they certainly won't talk about the drop in inflation, but they'll but they'll talk about uh, you know the sort of vestigial uh, pain that people feel from from higher prices. But there's no doubt that the Republican primary is focused on the culture wars, not on kitchen table issues. And Joe Biden is out there trying to push what he called in the State of the Union his blue-collar blueprint, you know, a message that's directly aimed at non-college voters, preferably white non-college voters, the voters that Democratic Party has been losing in droves over the years. And he's pushing all the things that he's done to create jobs for people without college degrees, whether it's the CHIPS Act or the infrastructure bill or, you know, anything else that that, that has been a result of his policies, because um, he wants those voters to give him a second look. And are Republicans focused on non-pocketbook issues, Mara, because that's where they think their voters are, or because if they talk about pocketbook issues, it's not a winning message for them? I mean, the tax policies they advocate are not tax policies that that most Americans agree with. Well, I think, first of all, they definitely think the culture war issues are the things that their voters care about. In terms of the economic message of the Republican Party, they don't know what their message is. They're at war with each other. It's a party in transition – There are candidates like Mike Pence, who's kind of an old-fashioned Reagan Republican who still believes in limited government, low taxes. But there's a big change happening in the Republican Party, and it's unclear where they're going to land. So for now, the focus is on the culture war. But I agree, some of the messaging about lower taxes for the rich or corporations isn't popular, that's for sure. But remember, Donald Trump made a pretty big break with Reaganomics. And he wasn't for free trade. He didn't care about the deficit. I don't think it's that they know what their economic message is and it's unpopular. I think they're in a state of flux about where they stand on a lot of economic issues. That's it for today. Scott Horsley, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. I'm Deepa Shivaram. I cover the Justice Department. And I'm Mara Liason, national political correspondent. 
And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast. 